All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., and Jesse Cofield holding it down for us in the DraftKings studio in Boston. Uh, we got a great show for you guys. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review it. Leave us a five-star rating and check us out live Monday through Friday right here from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern on DraftKingsNetwork.com. Our YouTube channel, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, and more. Our buddy Field Gates, ESPN NFL analyst over at ESPN, going to join us here in the second hour of the show. He's got his first mock draft for the upcoming NFL draft that just dropped yesterday. Some really interesting conversations about the quarterbacks in this class. We know everyone's interested in those and Fields got a different view on it than most people I've seen so far. So excited to talk to him about that. We got some juicy quotes out of the new England Patriots upcoming dynasty documentary mm. that we can sink our teeth into uh, and plenty of normal things in the world of sports to get to. But uh, Dad, unfortunately, yesterday, tragedy wandered into our sphere uh, uh, as during the Chiefs victory parade, their Super Bowl 58 celebration parade, one person was killed and 21 were injured uh, by gunfire at the end of the parade. Authorities have said three people have been detained and are currently under investigation right now. Uh, the Kansas City Fire Department Chief Michael Hopkins said that in addition to the one person who was killed, three were in critical condition, five were in serious condition, and one had non-life-threatening injuries. Children's Mercy Hospital also told KBMC-TV that it was treating 11 children that were hurt at the rally, nine with gunshot wounds. And Children's Mercy officials said that the patients treated by the hospital were between the ages of 6 and 15. Now, thankfully, all were expected to recover, but... Dad, this is a, a, 
a conversation that we have gotten way too used to having. Uh, I think for yep. a lot of people, it's very easy to get desensitized by all this and to, to go numb because it happens so often. I saw, uh, Per the uh, gun, National Gun Violence Archive, there have already been 47 mass shootings in 45 days that we've been in 2024. So when it's not happening in your immediate area, whether it's self-preservation for you mentally, just the amount you have going on in your day-to-day, -day, I can understand to an extent that everyone's world does not stop when this happens anymore because it simply happens too often. But you get that cold slap of reality when it comes back into your area. And for us in the world of sports, that was yesterday, Dad, uh, another act of senseless violence in a country that's become far too accustomed to it. And, you know, it's you're, you're thankful more people weren't hurt. You're gutted for the people who did lose a loved one in this situation but it's a cold reminder that you take your life into your own hands pretty much every time you're at a mass gathering in public right now it listen you you said it you know people are starting to get desensitized to it and we can't you know whatever whatever fight whatever side you're on whatever fight for this to to try and end this or curb this whether it's uh, uh banning guns whether it's more help for, on, on the mental side i mean something get done something get done with some teeth something finally get done that that hasn't gotten done yet so you're right we just read it as something else right it's in our world of sports but listen it, it's it's in our world I mean the the line I hear that I you know you almost chuckle at is when somebody says oh this is the world we live in no no this is the United States that we live in we we lead in this gang I mean that's what, 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 again, whatever side you're on, whatever yelling is going to go on back and forth that taking guns away won't help, check the mental side of things, do this, do that. Everybody's too busy yelling at one another for anything to get done, anything, I guess I should say, of substance to get done so it happens over and over again. And everybody will yell, we'll say stuff today, and people will yell at us and call us one thing, and people will yell at everybody else, and we'll say prayers up, which does absolutely nothing in the situation. So, you know... I, I, I don't want, want to see that either. What, what does it do? What is anything doing right now? And I think that's why people are, while, while there are people fighting the fight, and you said this before the show, Mike, and you're right. You don't want to, you don't want to just throw your hands up and say, well, you know, what are we doing? It, it never stops. We were in Connecticut, you know, when, when Sandy Hook went on years and years ago of children getting massacred at a school. That, if that doesn't evoke change right, invoke change right out of the gate, what what are we doing? So it's mass shooting after mass shooting. Like I said, both sides will yell at each other on what the remedy is, and we'll go on until we read about the next mass shooting. It's a damn disgrace is what it is that, that we, we're living through right now. Yeah, it's a problem that we have allowed to persist for too long, and you're right. It's easy to get bleak. That's the first place I went to yesterday was the idea that we're all just really sitting around and waiting for our turn and that we've gone through the cycles and the parts of this conversation that you've mentioned over and over again with very little ground made up. There's been some legislation that's been signed into law nationally. There's been a lot of victories locally, and there's also been a lot of losses recently in terms of the ease of access to these kinds of weapons and the things that lead to these in this country that do not happen in other countries. But I, I, I kind of tried to quickly course correct dad because you mentioned and I always think of the Sandy Hook parents and the job and the work that so many of them have done in the wake of the worst thing that could happen to a human person is to watch that happen to your child 
and you could rightly spend the rest of your life in hiding and so many of these parents chose to spend the rest of their life trying to go and make sure that this doesn't happen or there's a lesser chance even by a fraction of it happening to someone else and so I, I think of them pretty often uh, sandyhookpromise.org has a lot of information on the things that they're trying to do to get enacted, to get to change this, petitions you can sign, emails that you can send to your representatives, all these things that when you feel like there's nothing that you can do, it's a good reminder to try and do the things that you can. Because while there are a lot of people who are sitting on their hands doing this, whose pockets are lined with money by organizations that make the job and the fight against this a lot harder, you yourself can at least try and do what little we all can to try and affect this process and see if enough people coming together to try and do that can eventually budge this a little bit because again it is clearly not a problem that we are going to address or change meaningfully overnight like you said once that happened at sandy hook once it happened at uvalde and there wasn't sweeping mass change in these areas then we knew that was never going to be something that happened if that couldn't invoke it but for the rest of us, and maybe I'm just saying this to maintain some sense of sanity so I don't go to the darkest place possible, that I'm trying to focus on the people who are still trying to do the work and wake up every day with that lunch pail and put their hand in the pile and hope to God that this can be the thing that saves a handful of lives, that saves one other instance of this from happening and a sea of it happening over and over that feels pretty overwhelming. You know, we're looking for leaps forward, right? Uh, but uh, but at this point, we'll take steps forward because it seems anytime we take any little even shuffle forward, we end up going back five steps, you know, and kind of kind of reassessing and starting over again. So I'm, I'm with you. You know, the the you don't want to stop the fight of of whatever you're trying to get done um, to to help this situation, but we just see it going on over and over again. You know, I, I you certainly. Uh, Applaud. I mean, applaud's the wrong word I'm using it again in our sport, but the 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 civilians that, that chased down the one guy with the gun yeah. and tackled him and held him down. I mean, and the, you know, the, there was great police response as well, as quick as as quick as they could. I know there was a lot of law enforcement there, you know, in, in getting involved in the scene right away. But initially, you know, there's normally not going to be a cop standing right next to a guy that's going to start shooting. Uh, but to have civilians in there helping and tackling one of them and holding them down, I mean, that's that's just, you know, people helping people. And you just love to see that. Uh, you love to see it, but you hate to see it because, you know, you don't want to see these situations anymore. Uh, but it is good to see the people that act, you know, just running, using what are their, their bare hands, whatever they have to do to try and help uh, in a situation. But, I mean, it's just... Everybody, like as we said, and, and everybody will put out a statement like Kansas City. And I get it. I get putting out the statement. I, I understand all of that. But, you know, the next thing that will be banned of anything that, that people want to see banned to help a situation, the next thing that will be banned will be Super Bowl parades before anything else gets yeah, banned. I, it's, I mean, that's just kind yeah, of the way I, we are, right? That's the reality is that there's no space that's yeah. sacred anymore. There's no space where you can go where you're recused of this as a potential outcome of the situation. And conversely, the more people that you add to it right now, I mean, hell, going out in public now, I mean, when I've gone to movies, when I've gone to concerts, big festival venues, anywhere where there's large crowds of people, there's always that thought creeping in the back of your mind now. I don't know how you can be someone that's grown up in this generation and have that not be the case. I shudder to think of 
with kids younger than me who have grown up where this is the norm where Columbine didn't completely change the course of their lives because it felt different. It felt like something that shouldn't happen and hadn't happened and wasn't happening this frequently where now this is just built into the training model for the way so many kids have to grow up now. And you would think this space, this celebratory space this place where for so many generations we talk about what sports can do for fans and bring families together and give them an opportunity to celebrate something that feels separate and feels like an escape. It's why so much when protests come up and players bring things up, I remind people that they're human beings that live in the same society that you do and that this is not often an escape for them, but usually it is for other people. And that's why this is, uh, among all the other places, incredibly disheartening because this is supposed to be another place where people can come for a little bit to get away from all of this, but that's just not possible anymore. And that's the reality that we have to cope with right now. It's a good time to remind people that pretty much everyone, every. It's pretty bipartisan at this point that most people are in favor of at least some restriction and some changes to the gun policies. There are people doing the work every day to try and change these outcomes. Incremental process, progress, like you said, Dad, there's going to be nothing sweeping, unfortunately, at this point. But no. there are people hammering away trying to do the work every day. And so we will try and support them. We will try and support the families that are affected by what went on at this parade in Kansas City. Obviously, we're, we're thinking of them. The Kansas City Chiefs organization, you've seen so many statements from them. I've seen players like Marquez Valdez-Scantling trying to get in touch with the people that were affected by this in the hospital and see what he and other players can do to help all of them. I have no doubt this community will rally around their own as so many others have, but God, it'd be nice if they weren't put in that position so often the way that we see for them and so many others. So uh, we will keep everyone updated as we go along here with any other news that we get about those wounded or anyone else that was affected by this situation for the Chiefs in their Super Bowl parade yesterday, Dad? You know, it, it, and and we'll see how long how long does the outrage last this time, right? I mean, publicly anyway, because it happened at a Super Bowl champions parade. It's going to be in the news for a while, and then it's going to go away, and then it's going to be again up to what happens behind the scenes or in some cases in front of the scenes on what change again, you know, we, we, whether it's gun control again, whether it's more help for, for mental health uh, for people that are shooting the guns. But, you know, I know a lot of us think that boy, less guns certainly would probably help this situation, but I also recognize people with mental instabilities need help as well uh, in this. So there's a lot of work to be done. And I guess that's the part that's frustrating, Mike, is it doesn't feel like a whole lot is getting done time after time. We're going to see this. We're going to talk about this. It's going to be all over the airways today. And will it be then tomorrow? And will it be then the next day? And then when will it go away? When will this cycle, you know, this cycle of news, you know, wear itself out and we're on to the next thing. And then all of a sudden we're talking about another shooting, unfortunately, just it's damn depressing, you know, is what it is. But to your point, and, and I, you know, as, as we're going to move on from this, is those those in the fight, you know, you know, keep fighting, you know, keep keep working toward a goal we're all trying to get, and that's uh, not to have these uh, these mass shootings anymore, or these situations anymore. And unfortunately, it seems like we're a long ways away from it. But it doesn't mean you know those in the fight stop the fight. No, and it doesn't mean that we should stop helping them either. I think that's something that needs to happen yep. more frequently. It's easy for us to go with the whims of the news and you know 
figure out what's covered and put our attention there. It's a lot easier to do that than it is to actually help the people that are trying to do the thing day in and day out to look more closely at a thing that makes us sad and makes us frustrated and try and figure out what little we can do we, where we can help when we know we're limited in what we can do and what we can affect there. But it's like any other cause that you deem worthy. We see it happen all the time with disease and all these other causes where you give money, you give time, you give effort and try and get things done even when progress seems slow. The same can be said here to try and continue to support people that are trying to make the world a better place in spite of so much of what we see in this scenario. So uh, it's a, a no easy transition spot that we're in right now. Dad, yeah. we're going to talk about a lot of other sports today. We're going to talk about other news that happened at the parade from yesterday for the Kansas City Chiefs and what's relevant there. And like I always tell people, if this isn't for you right now, if you don't feel like listening to a bunch of other sports right now, by all means, turn us off, man. Go do something else. There is plenty of ways everyone gets to deal with these things uh, at this point in our time. Like we said, unfortunately, we've got too much practice with that. But for those of you that do want to enjoy some levity for a little bit, hear about the rest of what's going on in the world of sports, you can take this quick pause with us and then you know go back to trying to figure out how we can all make this world a little bit of a better place in spite of what we see go on each and every day. Uh, so, Deb, we'll do the stock line if there's no easy transition back to the rest of this. Nope. But um, yesterday we had a bunch of news surrounding coaching changes, uh, Dad, for both teams that were involved in the Super Bowl. For Kansas City, it was the news that their defensive coordinator, Steve Spagnola, was going to be back and sticking with Kansas City, a guy we've talked about who wants to be a head coach again and doesn't get any interviews. Signed an extension with the Chiefs to bring him back. Uh, we saw Chris Jones get up on the microphone and say he's not going anywhere. I'm sure his agent was thrilled about that. But uh, in general, Dad, about as good a news as you could continue to hope for for the Kansas City Chiefs, who we've talked so much about offensive coordinators like Ben Johnson or Bobby Slowick sticking around for their organizations. Spags continuing to be there as Andy's right-hand man is one of the biggest reasons why this dynasty has a chance to keep it moving. Oh, with, without a doubt. I mean, remember, he and Andy Reid, they spent eight years together in Philadelphia before Spagnuolo went out and uh, was a head coach with the Rams for a couple of years before ending up back with Andy again. As, as we, we had talked about, this is his fifth Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator to, uh, up there with uh, the only other, Dick LeBeau, the great Dick LeBeau, um, uh, being a coordinator, defensive coordinator for five, for five Super Bowls as well. Uh, so that this was a no-brainer. I'm, I'm a little surprised at the other news that we're going to get to, but this was a a no-brainer. And you do wonder in the in the cycle of because it wasn't just the playoffs. He was great. They had excellent defense all year, but he never really got a look as a head coach in any of these in any of these eight jobs that were open. So that was a bit surprising. And and you wonder, obviously, putting up another year like this next year if that that's going to change. It'll be real interesting because, again, this is not a guy that's been shy about his desire to do that. When he's been asked, he said, yeah, I would like to be a head coach again. And, uh, you know, he's obviously got a longstanding relationship with Andy Reid. He was an assistant for him with the Eagles for eight seasons there. And, Dad, when you're at the helm of a defense that's this young, but I think we saw it time and time again throughout the postseason, and you can explain this certainly better than I can, but... I was always in awe of watching this defense operate under Spags, even with the amount of young guys they've had. You know, we've talked about 
Trent McDuffie and the job that he did in the Super Bowl as a guy that's an off time used blitzer for this defense. And you're amazed at how savvy these guys are, how well they disguise things, their body posture at the line of scrimmage, all the stuff that as an offensive player I'd be looking for that they give you to try and cloud the picture that when you see it as often as you do, that's coached. That's the way Spags has approached this. And the chief staff has been lauded for so much of how they prepared their team for the Super Bowl. We saw a lot of clips pop up yesterday of Patrick Mahomes and their sidelines readiness for that overtime decision that San Francisco made and how they were thrilled because they got the result they wanted. They knew the exact plan they wanted to execute. That same thing's true on a more micro level for that defense where Spags was ready for every big moment in that game and his guys were ready. They didn't blink and they didn't flinch when it came to a lot of those big third downs. And that's a huge testament to coaching for a defense that's only going to get better with more time with his voice in their ear. You look at what they did in the regular season. They allowed just 17 points a game in the regular season. And then going into the Super Bowl in the postseason, they knocked that down to 13 points a game. And again, going into the Super Bowl in the second half, they were giving up just over three points a game. So it was a devastating defense, especially when it, when it got to crunch time, when you need it the most. And throwing the fact that this was the youngest defense in the NFL. They were just a little over average, a little over 25 years old, the last youngest defense in the NFL to win a Super Bowl was 09 in the Colts. Uh, so it's been a while. Uh, so you're right. This team, if how much they can keep together, we'll see. But young also means on, on early contracts, except, you know, Chris Jones, time for him to get paid. Uh, get him back on that D-line, keep this defense together, and see what happens again. Boy, if they somehow manage that and a parade <laughs> promise somehow comes to fruition – it could get real scary out here real quick for everyone uh, that's going up against this Kansas City Chiefs team. Coming up next, though, Dad, you mentioned the other news from the other coordinator from the Super Bowl yesterday. We'll talk about the 49ers' decision to part ways with their now former defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes, next. Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. 
Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. So, while the Chiefs extended their defensive coordinator, the 49ers were busy firing theirs. Uh, Kyle Shanahan announced on Wednesday that they've relieved Steve Wilkes of his duties after their loss to KC on Sunday. So, we were kind of just talking about this in the break. Gojo, you said like a lot of people have been sort of floored by this news, but you weren't terribly surprised? I guess not as surprised as some, because on the surface, Jesse, a lot of the reaction I saw, Dad, was this was Steve Wilkes being made out to be the scapegoat for what happened in the Super Bowl, right. that Kyle Shanahan and all the mistakes that people perceived they saw from this game were being laid at the feet of Steve Wilkes, who's a guy who largely held this Kansas City Chiefs offense in check for the majority of this game. But I think I've seen and, and can see myself a lot of, 49ers fans when you zoom out on the season as a whole coming off of two really strong tenures right in, in Rob Sala and D'Amico Ryans and what they had built this defense up into which was last year one that was statistically one of the top in almost every category this year with Steve Wilkes the fit was a little bit different we saw in the lead up to the trade deadline before they added Chase Young this is a defense that really struggled at certain points in the middle of the season before they course corrected there did well down the stretch but then Dad, you look at the postseason run that they went on and the Super Bowl, they came back to play a lot better than we had seen. But in the games leading up to that, one of which you were on the call for, this 49ers defense, especially on the ground, had been the story going into Super Bowl week of would they be able to return to anything resembling regular season form because they had been getting gashed so badly up front. Yeah, I mean, because you look at them in the regular season, I, I think this has way more to do with the post, but look at the regular season. They were top 10 total. They were top three against the run, um, middle of the pack against the pass. I'm sure the expectation was more because his defense had been better, but they were still a top 10 defense. Uh, but then in the postseason, it just went away. It was stunning how they were getting run on, um, especially basically right up the gut, and there was questions of, of you know, tackling, and want to to get to the ball carrier and obviously not you know we, we can sit there and say scheme but I'll, I'll say again you know and and I've been mostly this way my entire career whether playing or not At the end of the day it's on the players and Fred Warner who I talked to Monday before the Super Bowl when I asked him about what you're giving up so much more yard rushing he said our guys you know it's execution you know, we're, we're not in the gap we need to be. When you get one, when you get two players in one gap, you know this, Mike, two get players in one gap, you open up a hole, and now the back's not getting hit till the second level. And then it's about want to to get there. But as we all know, a lot of it falls on the coach, especially when your stats go way down from the regular season in the postseason where you need it most, where you saw Spagnolo's defense, everything clicked up. You know, the intent, the, not the intensity, but the productivity went in a positive direction. And for San Francisco, it went in a negative direction. And as Kyle Shanahan, he said he just never, never thought it was the right fit. Uh, so they'll move on, you know, uh, to another. It just It always just seems odd if someone in the coaching staff is changed on Super Bowl teams, unless somebody, a position coach is being made a coordinator somewhere else, which we see, or a head coach, or something like that. But the, it, I think just out of the gate, it looks surprising until you dive into it a little bit and say, okay, when we needed this defense to do the most, you know, that's when it unfortunately came up the least. Even though in the Super Bowl, I think they did a pretty good job against Kansas City overall. I mean, Kansas City basically got, now you still have to stop them, but that turnover on, on the punt put them right in the red zone to score a touchdown. But for the most part, 
you know, they held that they did a pretty good job when Kansas City got to the red zone of of, of either get causing a fumble or, or having them kick a field goal. Uh, so I, I thought the defense had played pretty well, but it, it seemed like this was something in the mind of Kyle Shanahan, though. Yeah, I mean, you go back to early November and the 49ers rush defense was 28th in rushing success. They were struggling there. They weren't getting after the passer as well until they brought Chase Young over. Like, I don't want to act like these were problems that came totally out of nowhere. Yeah, they have still a lot of good stats on this defense. There's too many good players. And Steve Wilkes is still a good coach, so that was going to happen. But he was a lot different. He was someone that came outside of this coaching tree that had been going on there. It had been a lot of those internal guys that from San Francisco that knew their way. And we knew for Steve Wilkes, it was this battle of, who he normally is and who this defense wants to be, Dad. He's a much more blitz-happy coordinator than what they had had around there and what their personnel usually begets. And we saw in the regular season uh, Kyle Shanahan having a disagreement with him. I think it was Week 7 against the Vikings for a late-game all-out pressure that went sideways for them. You had obviously in the Super Bowl show up a couple of instances late in that game where all of a sudden Steve Wilkes went back to what he knows best and decided to let it fly against the best quarterback against the Blitz in the history of the NFL. And so all those moments starting to add up over time. And dad, I think to your point, coming off a Super Bowl, it feels strange, but with the backdrop of what we all kind of believe, which is, hey, the 49ers, if they sign Brock Purdy to a long-term deal, I'm sure the way this front office operates, they're still going to have chances to be very good. But in terms of this specific window with this roster, we've talked about it. There's a lot of pressure on next season. And so if this is a fit that didn't feel right, maybe at the beginning and a chance that maybe both sides just weren't the right fit for each other, but wanted to try in earnest to make it work, realizing that now for Kyle Shanahan, who I'd imagine there's some self-preservation that creeps in here too, the way it does for most head coaches, puts the premium on, all right, if next season's our last swing at this, I want to make absolutely sure that I'm comfortable with everybody involved. And that sucks for Steve Wilkes, who seems like a good man and who seems like a very good coach. But in this situation, in the context of this team, it seems like a fit that was always something that they were trying to get to work. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, it's a, it's a defense that we had the expectation had normally been just let the front four rush, right? You got Nick Bosa, mm-hmm. you have others on that D line, you know that can rush. So let's not blitz. Let's you know you have a, one of the best cover linebackers in Fred Warner uh, in the game. Let's not stress the back seven by blitzing and have to play man. Or sometimes you do the you know the all out play cover zero, and it can burn you at times. So it seems Kyle is more comfortable with that and less with the attacking blitzing that we saw a little more out of Spagnola. But to your point, and for everybody to understand, it, it is different with the personnel you have on how you want to approach something, how you want to attack, what kind of defense are you going to use. And I can, a lot of times I just go on personal experience under Buddy Ryan. It was attack. It was stress on the corners playing man because we were going to sell out to get to the quarterback. But at times we had a great pass rusher, so you let him go. So you had the ability to mix it up because you could do both. But you find the strength of your team, and it would seem the strength of your your well that that I think is changing with the DBs that they have and the linebackers that they have. They they were I thought they'd be a little higher in sacks and get a little more out of the straight four man rush than they were getting. They weren't getting I think as much as they would have hoped, and maybe a reason why Wilkes, who already is a blitzer, was saying we're going to send a little more pressure here. 
Yep, and, and so now it becomes very interesting because this move comes really late in the hiring cycle for both yes. Steve Wilkes now and what his prospects might look like going forward as a coordinator that was just part of a team that went to the Super Bowl. And then for the 49ers on the other side, where they might go if this isn't an hire, a hire that they now feel more accustomed or have to do uh, have to do internally, excuse me, I know some people floated the idea of like, oh, do you call up Belichick or Vrabel guys who cut their teeth on the defensive side? I don't know how willing they're going to be to go for someone else outside after the way that this went, knowing what's at stake next year and bringing that kind of personality into the building. So that seems like it's far fetched at this point, but I guess everything's got to be on the table right now. Dad, what do you think they'd be more inclined to do? Do you think this is something at this point they have to go outside for considering the time and the cycle we're at? I, I think it's a little tougher to go outside. So I would say, you know, maybe look to the in, in inside um, I, I, and hire from within. I, I'm not positive who uh, it would be uh, on that staff as I kind of look over the coaches on, on who they would, they would elevate to that because it is late it's for both. Steve, to get a job somewhere, um, maybe, maybe he might have to go be an analyst or something somewhere. Um, if there are no slots available, unless you make one available for them. But it also is late to get, I, I guess to put it this way, to get the guy that you want, right? That, that, yeah. That's what it always is. Are you getting the guy that you want? And I'm sure you don't make this move, in my opinion, without having, or maybe you do, and say, we're going to make this move and then say, okay, now we got a spot to fill without at least having an inkling in your mind of where you're going to go. Completely agree. I think if the 49ers made this move without that plan in mind, then all that pressure we talked about that comes on next year might already be getting to them. So we'll see what happens for one half of the Super Bowl 2-0 from this last year. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. The Warriors saw their win streak come to a close last night. Norman Powell made four three-pointers over the final seven minutes and three seconds to score 21 points and outduel Steph Curry as the Clippers rallied from 12 behind in the fourth to beat the Warriors 130 to 125. Now, after the game, Curry called out his team's performance at home games this season. 
So we're very average. <laughs> very average doesn't get it done in this league. So you gotta, you know, we need to make a run. Hopefully, get bounced back tomorrow, and then you know, after the All Star break, hit a stride that you win every game here and steal some on the road. That's the formula. But we've been very average so far. So gotta regain that home court fear that we've you know been accustomed to in the past. Guys, we were just talking about their win streak, how they're back, and now this happens. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, Jesse, through three quarters last night, like I went to bed with like nine mm -hmm. minutes left in the fourth quarter. I went to bed pretty much right as this Clippers, Norman Powell, and uh, led run started. And my thought going to bed was, oh, the Warriors are kind of back. And when you start to look at the last 30 games or so of their season, I think according to Tankathon, they've got by record the 25th easiest strength of schedule remaining. And so it was all starting to line up, Dad, as they got Gary Payton the second back and they got uh, they got Draymond Green back. And we had seen Jonathan Kaminga start to take off. And it did make me wonder if, all right, they're getting healthy and whole at the right time. They're getting some of this mojo back. Steph obviously still has all of that gas in the tank. And then one of the best teams in the Western Conference rose up even without Kawhi Leonard and got this done. So I don't think it totally nullifies my feeling that the Warriors might have a little bit more in them than I had previously thought. But it's certainly a step back to have your pants pooped that hard in the fourth quarter. They are the, he says average at home. They are the epitome, the, the true definition of average everywhere. They're 14 and 14 at home. Uh, they're 12 and 12 away and 26 and 26 overall. They are the epitome of a C, right? I mean, that's 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 what a C. What would we would get with a curve? You know, maybe get the C. But they are as average as could be right now. And and while we wonder if they can get back, Mike, I just think too many other teams have risen up. You know, we we talked about Denver winning it last year, but uh, and, and the strength in the West and where it is, but we've been a little surprised. Maybe some have more than others, but Minnesota, you know, up at the top, Oklahoma mm -hmm. city sitting there, obviously Denver is still there. The Clippers, you know, the old guys getting together and making that run. I just think there's too many teams that are above them to think that they can make a run. This is their sixth game. They've lost after having at least a 15 point lead, only San Antonio, has lost more than that. So I think at times they'll they'll look really good, especially Steph, who we, we know what he is. But I just don't think there's enough in them. They're sitting in the 10 slot right now, uh, one, in, one behind the Lakers, that there's just too many teams that are better than them where I would think even, even if they get to the playoffs when you start doing series, that they're going to be able to do any kind of damage. It's it's always, I think, tough for the mental real estate that Steph occupies in my brain for me to fully count them out. Like last night, even at this point in his career, Steph, 35 years old, so he's not quite LeBron old, but he's pretty sports old. He became the first player in NBA history with seven or more made threes in four consecutive yeah. games and by far has the most games in NBA history with seven or more made threes, and he's notching that at 35. At this point, when we've all left them for dead, he goes out there and is effortlessly lifting up the offense of this team where, listen, Clay Thompson is at this point it's 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 a bummer he's a shell of himself offensively Draymond Green coming back Jonathan Kaminga does look like he is a budding star yes. that man yeah. the amount of canned heat in the heels of some of the athletes on this team between Jonathan Kaminga uh, and some of the other guys they've got on this squad is really really impressive and dad that could change a little bit of the course of how they operate in the future we talked so much yesterday about the report of what the 
Golden State Warriors almost did with LeBron James at the trade deadline right. and the call that they tried to make to see if he was available with the Los Angeles Lakers. And if you've got a guy like Jonathan Kaminga that occupies that spot that all of the sudden can start to elevate in this year, he's kind of made that jump 15 and a half points per game, 4.6 rebounds in 50 games played this season, just his third year with the Warriors. This can give you a little bit more hope in the Warriors' ability to build out in the future, whether that's using him as an asset in something coming up or right. getting someone else in there around him and Steph as maybe the new iteration of that core. Once, like you and I both agree, that this current version, the Golden State Dynasty and the triplets yeah. that have been at the center of it are probably in their final year. Yeah, and it's nice when you see a player get more of an opportunity. And when Draymond was out for the 16 games, you saw Kaminga take a bigger role and what they're able to do. You know, this is what I always like to see, the guys that that are given the chance and make the most of it. And all of a sudden, you start talking about them more, and they become an, more of an integral part of the game. But I, I still think, and I know I know you agree, that the, the basic core of this is the last year of this team. And, you know, you heard a, uh, uh, Anthony Davis over at the Lakers say, we really feel like this team is starting to have this identity going forward. But I, I question whether LeBron, who's on again on the player option next year, will even be on that team next year, or will they will they try and and do it again, you know, in a yearly uh, in a piece by piece yearly kind of move on their part. So I still think both of those teams are going to look pretty different next year. Yeah, I'd agree. The Lakers have become really interesting as we sort of turn the page on on Golden State, who I think everyone we saw playing last night, I saw it earlier with the Cavs and the Bulls playing. Everyone's a little chippy right now getting ready to head into the All-Star break. It's a long season. We know it's not really a midway point in the NBA, and so you saw everyone kind of wearing the frustrations, everyone getting a little bit chippy and looking forward towards a break. Dad, LeBron James and the Lakers are fascinating too because that's another team that's going to have a fair amount in terms of assets and trying to be able to bring in another star for LeBron James and incentivize him to stay. We were talking the other day about how LeBron James player option is after the draft. So he gets to look and see exactly what's going to go on here. And I think most people look at Bronny and say that the current trajectory doesn't scream one and done for his time in college. He's no. averaging about a little no. over five points a game on a team at USC. That's not very good right now. And so could probably use another year or two of development before he makes that jump. And so if you're LeBron James, I do wonder if the grass might be greener where you are. If that ends up being what's best for your son, you can stay close and watch him there. And the Lakers are in position to add more to try and make the last few years of his career a little bit more palatable in the meantime. I, I think that's a good point. So to, when I say, you know, he may not be there next year, there may be circumstances outside of basketball. And that's with Bronny. And he has backed off on that. A bit, you know, I maybe like I said, maybe his wife got to him and said, "Why don't we let Bronny live his own life here?" And you know, and but as yeah. a parent, I get it. I mean, who who could be in this position where you could play so long in a league that you could wait for your kid to maybe be in that league? How exciting would that be? But it does not seem. I agree that Bronny would be ready to go as a one and done. So he has that player option next year. Could stay with the Lakers because he's a, he's a free agent that year after that. So you're right. Maybe maybe it is and, and, and be able to run it back one more time on this. It, it does seem like it could align that way. So I may have to edit my my thought that he may be gone given circumstances outside the world of the NBA and with his son and where they are so that he can see him and everything. Uh, so we'll see. I thought an interesting stat last night, though, that uh, they beat Utah last night, did the Lakers. Anthony Davis had 37. Rui Hachimura had 36. 
It's the first time teammates for the Lakers had 35 or more since we would all have assumed at Anthony Davis and LeBron did it in a game together, but that's not the case. You have to go back to 2003, Shaq and Kobe both did it Kobe, against San Antonio yeah. in a game in 2003. That one, that one threw me. I had thought for sure AD and LeBron had done it in their time together, but no. So Rui Hachimura and Anthony Davis last night went for uh, 37 for AD, 36 for Rui. First time since 03 teammates. That one, that one surprised me a little bit. Yeah, a little bit in the game they win without LeBron James on the floor last night. And Rui Hachimura maybe waving over at Darvin Ham being like, hey, remember me? I can yeah. do all this stuff. We had a fun time last year. Uh, and how that might affect the Lakers going forward. But yeah, it, it's it's kind of tells the story of what has been the LeBron James tenure here with Anthony Davis. We're outside of that bubble season. It's kind of been waiting around wondering each night which version of Anthony Davis you're going to get on any given occasion and how much more gas LeBron has in the tank in terms of being able to be the guy that lifts up this team. Kind of like Steph Curry, a matchup that we used to see in the NBA Finals every year, and now we might see in the NBA play-in tournament every year. Welcome back to Gojo and Gola. Guys, I know that you're freaking out because Notre Dame has announced the return of the Shamrock Series. The Irish will face Army November 23rd, 2024 at Yankee Stadium. The game is going to celebrate that 100th anniversary of the Four Horsemen backfield from Notre Dame's 1924, who led the Irish to a 10-0 record, a Rose Bowl victory. Guys, this is amazing. How excited are you? Has the family group chat been blowing up over this? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is pretty cool and one that's kind of near and dear to me. Obviously, Notre Dame's got a storied tradition of playing the service academies, but specifically at, at Yankee Stadium, Dad, Notre Dame uh, and Army have played at the Yankees' home 23 times throughout their history. The original ones happened in the 1920s. And then there was a long hiatus in that from like 1969 on until we played them back in 2010. It was my junior year at Notre Dame. We went and were the first team that was not the Yankees to play in the new Yankee Stadium um, in New York. And it was such a cool experience. We got to go like Friday for a walkthrough at Yankee Stadium. And as soon as we got there, Brian Kelly and the staff had sort of planned for this. They nixed the walkthrough and just let us go walk around Monument Park in the back and check out everything. We were in the locker room asking the locker room attendant whose lockers we all had. And we're like giddy school kids when we found out that Tommy Reese had Derek Jeter's locker in there. So it's a really unique <laughs> experience. The Shamrock Series for Notre Dame, if people are unfamiliar, is an off-site home game every year. So we would go play at NFL stadiums. They played at Jerry World. We played at FedEx Field. You've played at all these different spots, including Yankee Stadium, for this game. And it is a chance to see something completely different like that and have an experience that's new, unique. It's a recruiting thing for the school, but for the players, Dad, it is a cool opportunity to go and do something slightly different in a season that can have a lot of monotony. Oh, it's awesome. And then for the players, you get the, the, the different type of uniform and helmet that people will some people on the outside will love. Some people will complain about. Our fans but, man, as a it. player, to, to be able to <laughs> – what's that? I said our what's fans that? hate it so much. They hate the alternate uh, uniforms. I, and it's so I, – I think it's so cool, man, to be on the field and have the different type of helmet design on the helmet and uniform. 
I think that is the one of the neatest things. I love this series. I love the Shamrock series. I love when the, how they do this. So it's very cool. But if you'll permit me, um, they're doing it in New York. It is the 100th anniversary of the Four Horsemen backfield from Notre Dame, as Jesse said. So if you don't mind, Grantland Rice, October 18th, 1924, started with this. Outlined against the blue-gray October sky, the Four Horsemen rode again. In dramatic lore, they are known as famine, pestilence, destruction, and death. These are only aliases. Their real names are Struldeher, Miller, Crowley, and Layden. I love it. I love that. I get chills reading that. That's just awesome. The hundred year, the sophomore year, they were the four of them were put together, and it was decided coming back from a game to do that. They actually put them on a horse for people that don't know and call them the four oh, yeah. horsemen. They were together for three years in the backfield. In those three years, they only lost two games. Uh, one, I think, in, in, the, in the, the first couple of years. They went undefeated their last year and forever known as the four horsemen, one of the greatest stories in, in college football history. It's very, very cool. And that's one of the, the great paragraphs that I just, you know, I, I, I didn't do it very, very well. Uh, not the way some of the ah. great voices read it over time but it's just it's just such a cool thing and just such great history more great history from notre dame and college football i thought you did it all right i mean and and you're right for people in notre familiar with notre dame lore the phrase outlined against a blue gray october sky is sort of etched into your yep. being when you walk yep. into the notre dame football facility there is a statue of them on the four horses right when you walk into the main lobby there before you get to all the other trophies that are in there so it's a huge part of it it's great that they're getting this moment to celebrate all of it it's great that it's happening against an opponent like army that notre dame obviously has a bunch of history right. with including a ton of history at this stadium and in this game so shout out to our buddy connor crean over at barstool captain cons who's a former army quarterback and a guy that we always love trading shots with when it comes to this game uh it's going to be cool to see this happen again and good to see that it's back on it really is like that was one of the most unique experiences of my college career was getting to go and play a game yeah. at that stadium knowing all the history of that franchise how it overlaps with the two and and getting to see that in person so for all the guys on the team drink that up man it's a, a unique opportunity it's one of the things you get going to play to get a place like notre dame and they are going to get that next year uh dad the other thing that we might get next year well the thing we're surely going to get next year is a 12-team playoff what we might get is a new format before we even get to that 12-team playoff though is the college football playoff board managers are expected to vote at the end of this month on a change to the format in the wake of the dissolving of the pac-12 as we have known it it was supposed to be a six and six format for the college football playoff right. for anybody from unfamiliar, which was the top five power five conference champions and the highest ranked group of five champion. And then six at large bids. Now with the pack 12 gone, they're trying to go with what's being called the five plus seven model, where it would be four power five conference champion bids, plus the highest ranked group of five, and then seven at large bids from here on out. And dad, this is actually something that would give the remaining pack 12 teams in Oregon state and Washington yes. state a better chance because they're not a sanctioned they wouldn't have a conference championship now being just the two of them they've obviously got the mountain west relationship they're exploring and so uh, this is something that's going to happen and it just seems like a bunch of legalese and paperwork was holding this up from being voted on sooner yeah but but it does open it up for a different conference right because five and seven would you thought the power five conferences that the 
other conferences would have to be one of the seven, you know, at-large teams. But now this opens it up for another conference, right? So who always, you know, put themselves in the, would want to say it's the power six, you know, now they'll get that chance. You know, who is going to be the highest rank outside of the power four, which we're going to have right now from one of the other conferences out there uh, that will be ranked and get that automatic bid. Cause that, that I always look at that as the opportunity for the next, because you would have thought it would have been a little more difficult for any of those group of fives to be one of the top conferences if there was a power five, but there isn't. So somebody's going to get a nice opportunity there and and uh, and and be chosen as a, as a highest ranked conference champ. Yeah, and, and listen, it's still an uphill battle for those group of five teams. And we saw last year sure. for a team like Liberty, Jamie Chadwell goes over there and they're undefeated for most of the season. But because the schedule that they played was so comparatively weak, they struggled to be ranked and respected by a lot of the polls in the way that they thought they deserved. We've seen, Dad, I think now what happens is the standard for power five teams to make the playoffs is going to be lowered a little bit because you've got 12 teams. There's going to be teams with two losses in there. Finally, we're going to probably flirt with a team with three losses in there who plays in the right conference and plays one of the tough schedules that year. But for the group of five teams, it's going to be a lot like what we saw a team like Notre Dame as an unaffiliated uh, independent football team dealing with where you basically got to go undefeated or have only one loss. I think that's going to be that way for a lot of the group of five teams where if you are a Tulane or somebody like that, or you are a Liberty or you are a team like that, you're going to have to go and win by the old standard to be considered for this new standard based on how crowded the field's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. It's, it's going to get interesting. And, and to your point, I was uh, trying to pull up the rankings real quick here if, if we went to 12, um, yeah, you, you would have had uh, 12 LSU had three losses. Now, this was after bowl games. Um, so sure. uh, 11 Arizona had three losses. So you're right. You're going to flirt with that where you thought as soon as you had two losses, you had no shot for the playoffs. Now you're going you're gonna, to, as people said, how much is this going to mess with the regular season? I still think it's going to be a, a great regular season. Not much can mess with football. You're just going to have basically eight through 15 maybe as the ones that have those later season games that are going to have an effect on who makes the final 12 instead of the top four. Like we watched Ohio State and Michigan play where, you know, the winner was going to be, you know, going to be one of those, would be one of those conference champs. The other was still going to be in the playoffs and still would be able to do something in the playoffs. So you lose a little bit there, but I think you still get it on the back end of that of those teams trying to get to 12. Yep, uh, completely agree. It's going to expand the conversation a little more. It's going to drop down some of those arguments. And some new teams with some different decals on the side of their helmets are going to get to yell and scream at the committee and whoever the poor chairperson is this year who has to go out and try and explain (laughs) the decisions of 12 other people to a group of us sharpening our swords, getting ready to skewer every last thing that they say. So football season's just ended but man it already feels like we're getting there right around the corner so coming up here in the next hour we'll take a look at where some of our sweet young college boys are heading off to and the relationship that defined an era giving us some juicy new gossip in 2024 next
sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.